0: Welcome back to The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. I'm presently coming to you from a boat in the Bahamas, and I am looking out a little, I don't know what you call what do you call little windows in boats, a little rectangular. I'm clearly not a a boatsman, Um, but I'm out here doing the work. Recording the podcast introduction. Just got done doing some diving, maybe some spearfishing in the morning, and uh, we're out here doing the thing. Today's conversation was with someone that I greatly value, greatly appreciate. Light Watkins. Light is a international best-selling author. He is a world-renowned teacher in the realm of meditation. He's been teaching since 1998, I believe. Long time, 20 years. He's great. He's the author of the most recent book, Knowing Where to Look. He's also the author of several other books, Blissmore, The Inner Gym. He's been a buddy for a while, and he is an inspirational character, and he has an immense amount to offer the world. And I am immensely grateful to get to share folks like Light with y'all. He's also spent the last, I believe it's three years, nomading, traveling around the world, homeless. The world is his home. He's down to a carry-on bag and goes from place to place as a pneumatic wanderer of sorts. And uh, pretty cool to get to share his perspectives, and especially while I'm sitting here in the hull the of a boat. I don't even know if hull is the right word. I don't know anything about this boat stuff. But I know that I like it. What's that song? I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. We should start the podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Here we go. Back to the scheduled programming with my guy, Light Watkins. Are you in uh,
1: Mexico City? Day De- I'm in Mexico City. I'm doing the same thing in Mexico. Damn! I'm, gen- I'm gentrifying Mexico City. Good. And and raising the prices with my with my American dollar. Yeah, so, right. Why did you choose Mexico City? Why are, you, why are you
0: out there? Have you been here? I've passed through on a motorcycle like 13 years ago. And so my experience was very much, I would say essentially, no, I have not been there. Have As you been in to a, Bali? No, either.
1: Bandai? Nope. Oh, wow. You missed all the cool kids. <laughs> I missed all the spots.
0: Yeah. yeah well,
1: I just got stuck in Tulum. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. (laughs) So it's funny.
1: Going to Tulum is kind of like going to wellness Vegas, you know, like for Mexico. So in other words, there's no place really like Tulum. Mexico City is just, I don't know, man. It's just this beautiful, cosmopolitan, green, walkable, great food scene, like better food than anything I've had in LA. Still slightly less expensive. It's, it's It's a lot more affordable than... Than uh, being in the states, so it's just a, it's a great place to be. All the apartments seem to be two bedroom, two bathrooms, and um, so just lots of space. Easy. It's just it's and the weather is perfect. It's like beautiful weather down here. Why did you beautiful choose- beautiful weather?
0: How did you come up on on choosing that? Do you speak Spanish?
1: No, but you know, being in America, you you understand more Spanish than you realize. And I just started coming here in two thousand and nineteen. I started coming here just just to come, and I just loved it. I loved it. It's a great place to come and post up and write. And just whenever I had any downtime, I would come to Mexico City because I've been nomading for three years now since, uh, in fact, today marks my third year anniversary of going nomadic. I went nomadic 2018, May 30th. And so I was basically hopping between L.A., New York. So when I would see you at Erewhon or any, I was pretty much just there for the week or so. And then I would go to London. I was spending a lot of time in London. That was my sort of happy place for a while. But the jet lag is like, you know, that's a, s- a steep cost to get there. So when I would go there, I would try to stay there as long as possible, but then inevitably you'd have to come back and then experience that jet lag. And Mexico is great because it's it's on American time zone, you know, like I'm on Central Time right now. So Yeah, it's, it's convenient. It's oh we're in convenient. Central time. Oh, that's good. I kind of thought this was earlier for you. that's that's convenient. no. Oh, nice. just write it your same
0: time. Oh, this is easy. I wanted to talk about your transition into nomadicism, which is just something that I think it seems like a romantic idea that probably many people, especially men, men and women, but many people, In general, have at least like flirted with. It's like, wow, that would be cool. But few have probably really made a trend, like an active transition like that, like you did. And even fewer had made an active transition at age 45.
1: So I was living in Los Angeles and uh, I had a two bedroom apartment in Santa Monica. I was paying under market rent for that apartment. It was right off of Rose Avenue, like really perfect location, 10 minute walk from the beach. And I was, uh, yeah, I was teaching meditation trainings and workshops, both in L.A. and also around the, the country, and leading retreats. So life was great, but <laughs> it's always a but. But I also had this desire to be in relationship and to have family. So I felt like I was doing all the right things and Rooting, nesting, you know, creating abundance, had a nice little savings. I had all the things, you know, and for whatever reason, it wasn't happening. And then I I got to this point where I realized I was sort of like waiting for it to happen. And in that space of waiting, I didn't feel like I was being myself because that's not who I am. Right. That's not who I've been. And I find that in my most creative, innovative iterative moments in life, I'm, I'm, I'm taking action. I'm being creative. I'm I'm taking leaps of faith. And the truth is I enjoyed the traveling and I enjoy being in different locations and having that unique energy. It inspires me. I find, I find that I'm more creative when I'm in uh, London one week and in, you know, Bali the next week and things like that, even at my life stage. You know, a lot of my peers are, have grown children. They have kids who graduated from college, even some of them are even grandparents. And, uh, and while I have a desire to have a family, you know, just that hasn't been my path. And one of the things that I've been teaching in my, my meditation and inspiration work and writing is that whatever is happening is what's supposed to be happening. And if it's meant to be, you know, it's not that you know sit or, sit on your hands and and uh, wait for something to happen. You you definitely do your best, but if it's still not happening, then you just you know you 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 understand that that uh, that's not your path for this moment in time. So I decided to just walk my own talk, man, and and uh, and I started feeling more and more disconnected from my place. I noticed I started getting to these little disagreements with my landlord you know, over some nonsense. And I, I, I saw those as sort of like the embers of change about to happen. And then I'd had this idea to to, to travel nomadic for probably, I don't know, nine months or a year before I actually took the leap. But um, it was just really a matter of making the decision to do it. People, you know, asked if I was afraid. I didn't really have any fear around doing it just because, I've been traveling so much anyway. And then my book was just coming out. My previous book, More, the meditation book had just come, come out. And I had a bunch of book dates, tour dates with Wanderlust on the schedule throughout that year, 2018. So I used that as an opportunity since I was going to be on the road anyway, to just go ahead and, and, and do it. So it was, you know, in that sense, you, one could, you can make the argument that I manifested it and I, I did have to write the book and I did have to negotiate the du- tour dates and make myself available for those, and make those relationships. So manifestation, you know, I, I'm definitely a fan of that, but it doesn't come without work. So, yeah, I use that as an opportunity to take that that leap. And, and I haven't looked back since I haven't missed it one day the sensation
0: of uh, like waiting for a partner or waiting for i don't know maybe a job or waiting for like that that thing that that a person might be seeking like the the ring the precious mm-hmm. the balance between actively engaging and pursuing and creating and participating and then also being able to be the witness and step aside and kind of allow jesus to take the wheel Like, that's an interesting dance. (laughs) What am I pushing too much? You know, what am I letting go too much? Can I let go too much?
1: (laughs) Yeah, man, I I think that is the game. As far as I've been able to tell, that is the game. And (laughs) you don't, as long as you have a body, you don't graduate from that game. You just play at higher and higher levels, right? Like a lot of people... They would try to control the little things, you know, because they may be afraid that I'm not going to have a place to lay my head. I'm not going to have a place to eat. I'm not going to have, you know, friends when I show up at such and such location. I'm not worried about that. Like I've I've transcended that. I've been through a phase where I was concerned about all of that, but now it's bigger stuff. Like, am I going to be able to keep the podcast going? Am I going to be able to finish my next book and, you know, things like that. Because I know I can do it. It's just a matter of getting the the logistics in place. And even still, I'm not that concerned about that. But then it's like, am I going to have a family while this is all happening? You know, things like that. So, yeah, you're always playing that game.
0: How's your process and being open to allowing that to happen in your life, if that's the, the correct language?
1: Well, here's the other thing I've noticed, right? putting yourself in this kind of situation and you're in this situation too. So that's not lost upon me, but, or at least you were, and that's before you got your place, you really put yourself in a completely different path in life than sort of the conventional path. Right. And you, you get, you, you become accustomed to adapting to almost anything. But the irony is the more you become that way, you know, resilient to change, the less relatable you are to other people, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, right? Because yeah. mo- most people are kind of in the conventional path. Most people are afraid of the same kinds of things, like when everybody was going out trying to get toilet paper a year ago. I'm sure you weren't out at Costco, you know, trying to hoard as <laughs> what much makes toilet you, paper. What as makes fun. you think that? <laughs> <laughs> right. How dare you! How dare you identify my personality type? <laughs> because yeah. you probably have like a stoic, you know, philosophy, oh, it'll work itself out. And You know, if I really have to, I I'm did get whatever.
0: I did, I did fall into the category of purchasing ammo, gold, and a weapon. But not even because I thought I was going to use it. Like it was it was more just value. It was just seeking investment. Like I never mm-hmm. I never had any sensation of fear that I wasn't going to be able to eat or have a place to sleep or like I was anticipating discomfort, but there was never a fear of like, like all my sphincters clenching up, like what's <laughs> going to happen. And I, I, I wonder like if you have any sensation of like, I, I recently got back from this, this six day ayahuasca psilocybin retreat thing in, in the Yucatan in in Mexico. Have you done it these like plant medicine type things in your life, you have. It. I haven't that's done a plant your, journey. Your no, yeah, not yet. No. So in that, so you, you know, you're with these shamans that I don't loosely use that word. There are people that like that's that's been their whole entire life history since their children and their mothers and their father and brother and like that's like who they are and they're from Peru mm-hmm. and it's Shipibo people and it's like like they are plants and so there are a the few people that I'd be like from my western white self i'm like shaman for sure at air venice you know all that it's like very like uh, i stay away from them
1: <laughs>
0: but they're serving you and they're singing and you're it's completely pitch black and you know you you drink the cup or the cups and you're there until 5 a.m just with yourself you know what i describe it is like your your soul is is auditing your ego And during that time, it's just like going through all of the different layers throughout the Rolodex of of your life and decisions and that. And I found any place in myself that I was holding resistance to the experience, which ultimately is like a metaphor for life, there was some level of fear or distrust. And as I could pierce through those and just allow myself, oftentimes just grabbing myself by the neck and saying, Fucking Aaron, either trust or you're going to like just get pulverized right now. And then it was, well, I jumped through that point. I was like, oh my God. On the other side of that trust was this momentary sensation of liberation that did have, has had residual effects that I'm still like bearing witness to now and integrating. But I wonder what is fear and how does one identify that they do hold on to fear inside of themselves? And what's the process in releasing that if a person is, in fact, carrying the baggage of some, some fear in their lives? Yeah, those are some pretty big questions, man. <laughs> Cause I think there's a lot of people fear. that have that have contraction. And by a lot of people, I mean me. And we're walking through the world and my back is tense, and my, you know, my my I've got TMJD and I'm clenching my jaw and I'm clenching my wrists, and you know, my body's in this state of like <clears throat> And it's what it is, is it's a bracing. It's this compensatory pattern to brace for impact. And if there's tension in the body, then there's, then there's also, I believe tension in the mind. And if it's, if the mind is truly at ease, then the body inevitably, there's nothing to contract on. There's nothing to like to be grasping. I feel like I'm, I'm in the meadow weeds here, but hopefully that. Yeah,
1: no, no, no. So let's unpack this a little bit. So I know from, from my studies in physiology and biology, which is very, very surface level, that humans are born with two innate fears, right? One is the fear of falling. So in other words, the fear of heights. And the other one is the fear of loud sounds. So basically everything else is just manufactured. <laughs> false false <clears throat> evidence appearing real. And so from the sort of spiritual perspective which is how i like to think about things because you know if you look at anything from the ground level perspective you know you can come up with a million different or eight billion different interpretations but from the spirit the further we pull back the lens the more those interpretations start to meld until you get to this like one core truth which is again from a spiritual perspective the worldview of spirituality everything is connected Right. Everything is connected. So when you have a satellite image of the earth, you don't see any delineation between states and countries, and everything is connected. The oceans are connected. There's no Atlantic, Ocean, and Pacific. It's all one big body of water surrounding this these masses of land. They're all connected. If you drop the water level, you see that all the land is connected. It's all a part of the earth's crust, etc. So the spiritual worldview basically has that same premise that everything is connected but what causes us to be fearful is we can't perceive that connection between something we're experiencing and who who we are so back in antiquity when they were talking about practices like meditation yoga etc all of those practices are modalities for getting one into a state of self-realization, which basically means you can feel the connection between yourself and other people and other experiences. And what it does is it breeds more curiosity than fear. So the fear doesn't necessarily go away, but if the curiosity can Overtake the fear, then that can keep one present long enough to be able to make better choices around how to interact or how to relate to that experience. And maybe it requires creating some distance, or maybe it's an opportunity to get up close and study it, right? Mm-hmm. So just taking it in a practical way, let's say the prison industrial complex. Most people don't think about the prison, prison industrial complex. Most people don't think about how how unjust the justice system is. And so we just kind of operate our lives, go about our days, and we just try to do the right thing, try not to break any laws because we don't want to have to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. But if you were ever in a situation where you were unfortunately in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the government, say, decided that they wanted to investigate your taxes or, you know, your business relationships with some suspect entity or whatever... You may find yourself in a federal courtroom being prosecuted. And then they tell they're basically telling a story about your finances or your involvement with this other entity. And if you don't have good enough representation, you could find yourself on the other end of a table from an attorney considering a plea bargain, plea deal that they're giving you, saying, Hey, look, you know, this goes to if the jury decides you, you're looking at 12 years for wire fraud, but you can cut a deal now with us and we'll give you a year and a half of jail time and then, you know, some restitution, etc. So anyway, you may find yourself in a situation like that, which a lot of people have. People even in my family have found themselves in that situation. It's that, was very spe-
0: that was a very specific antidote. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn,
1: <laughs> But the point is, the point is, you start to see yourself you know, this is not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. This is not fair. My intentions were good. I mean, how many times have we had that conversation with ourselves? This is not fair. My intentions were good. And yet I'm in this situation. And it it could be a relationship, you know, that went south. It could be a friendship that went south. This is not fair. And the reason we have that understanding is because now we're looking at it up close, whereas before we didn't have to look at anything up close. So we could kind of Have this sort of spiritual bypassing sort of attitude about everything is is great. Everything is one, but when you get up close to stuff and you really study it, and you start to see that it's not what it looks like on the surface, then you can become more curious about it. And so that curiosity can either embolden you, or it can make you stand up for other people who may be going through those kinds of things. Whereas the average person is afraid to put themselves in that fire. So that's 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 my whole point. It's like it's on the surface level when you're just passing by it then there're things that you're afraid to even get involved in because it just seems like it's just too much yeah but when you're up close to it if you were if you were coming from an abusive relationship, you may be more inclined or more curious about how can I help other people who are abused? How can I help other people who are in these kinds of relationships? How can I help other people who are being victimized by the justice system, et cetera? So I think that's where you see those people who are putting themselves in those situations is that they've gotten up close to it in some way. Yeah. And I think life has a way of doing that for us. There's different places my mind
0: was going with that. But one of the things that the, the last idea that that came up is is kind of like raising a child, which I don't know anything about, but from talking <laughs> to friends that that do and reading books about it and such, if the child feels really safe and secure with their home life, you know, when they cry, mom's there, when they're hungry, mom's there. It's like if there's something bad goes goes down, there's that support. Like, oh, okay, I feel held. I feel supported. I know that I can lean back on on a strong household. That the child in that position, they have they can be more courageous in their exploration of going out in the world. It's almost like their tether to their home. It extends longer because they they know they have a safe place to come back to. But if at that root level, they feel insecure, they feel like they don't have that, that home place to come back to, which could be maybe the sensation of like unicity You know, a sensation of like non-dualism where it's like, ultimately, I'm already home because I'm a part of everything. The 30,000-foot view, I'm just a part of this grander nucleus that we're calling, you know, earth or whatever. But that that sensation, that that deep inherent safety allows the child or, you know, the, the individual to be able to wander out. But winding back, if we feel at a deep inherent level insecure and unsafe... Like, I wonder what the process in starting to unpack that. I think the first thing is like bearing witness to oneself. Like, how does you even start to see one, see yourself? You know, you like we started off, like you can't see the ingredients from inside the container. Like the process of even witnessing that. And then from there, you know, feeling safer inside of
1: yourself. Well, that's where self-realization comes in. You have to do the work. You have to go down that path. You have to, you know, sit with yourself in a room <laughs> and by yourself without being distracting distracted by social media and whatnot. I mean, you know, practices like meditation, gratitude, going out into nature, vision quests, what you were doing journeys like that. That's, we see that as extracurricular, like real world stuff is going to work and, you know, paying bills, but we need to, that's, we need to invert the paradigm and we need Uh to make, we need to make our inner work as much of a priority, if not more of a priority because it informs why we do the external things that we do, right? How self-realized you are will inform what kind of job you end up ultimately taking and what kind of relationship you ultimately get in and how long you stay in that relationship, even though it may become clear that it's a codependent or emotionally abusive relationship. Because ultimately, you're seeking seeking—you're either seeking your happiness inside or you're seeking it outside. It's not really... It could be both, but there's one is dominating, right? If you are self realized, if you do understand your the the nature of your your spirit or your essence, you can still live a householder normal life like like I do, for instance. Like you you have an apartment, you ha- I have bills every month. I have to make a certain amount of money to pay my bills and have a little bit left over, you know, for a rainy day and all of that. But the moment you start looking at the next paycheck as the source of your happiness that's where we find ourselves feeling disappointed if things change in that in that dynamic right but if you have happiness inside if you become self-realized inside and things change such as a pandemic occurs and you don't have the same paycheck you're not going to allow that to hijack your ability to stay present, to stay creative, to be happy, you just change strategies. That's all that happens is you just continually change strategies to adapt to this or that situation. So the more you do this, and you can't fake it, by the way, you have to feel it inside. You have to feel that sense of happiness. It's not an intellectual concept. It doesn't come from reading books or positive thought quotes on Instagram. It comes from doing years of inner work steady cons- consistent inner work maybe even having a mentor or guru or teacher for many of those years to kind of help you get momentum and then eventually you find that you're kind of on your path you know and and your path is not going to be a path that anyone else can necessarily identify or recognize for you it's something that you can only recognize for yourself and a lot of the time you don't even realize that you're you're on your path until you see how it affects other people. you see the positive effects you have on other people. you know someone reaches out to you and says, you know I was listening to your podcast or I was reading your th- the thing that you wrote on medium and it really helped me and thank you so much And you think back to the thing that you put out there, which to you is just an extension of your own personal experience, maybe not even a big deal. But the reality is that that experience was gifted to you for you to share with the world. And so when you start sharing it in whatever way you share it, whether it's through song, through art, through speech, through action, through service, through, you know, whatever, sweeping, cleaning, gardening, whatever, however you share your gift, that's when you, when you're officially on your path. If you're hoarding your gift and you're afraid to share it, then you probably are gonna experience some friction or some tension with whatever else you're doing in the meantime. You could be making all the money in the world, right? But there, that friction is there, like, oh, there's something else, I'm missing something. There's a hole. You don't feel fulfilled inside. And so that's kind of a very generic way of assessing where you are along your path.
0: I will take a brief moment and share one of the supplements that I have gained the most value from over the years. It is the only supplement that I will actually purchase with my own money. I get lots of different things from different companies. And uh, the only one that I will actually go out of my way, go to the store, and grab is magnesium. I also get creatine every now and again. There's actually a couple other ones. But magnesium is top of the list. Reason being, it's helpful for Things like sleep, also general downregulation of the nervous system, muscle healing and repair. If you're a person that's having any type of issues with sleep, I highly recommend it. And then the next thing is thinking what kind of magnesium you're getting. So I personally absolutely vouch for the company Bio Optimizers and their Mag Breakthrough. The reason that I like them is many of the supplements that you get only have one or two or a few of the different forms of magnesium. This is a full-spectrum magnesium. It has all seven unique forms of this stuff. And uh, it's also just the highest quality stuff you're going to get. And to top it off, you can get yourself a sweet discount, 10% discount, by going to magbreakthrough.com slash Podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash Align podcast. You can Use Align 10 at checkout to get yourself a discount. If you are not absolutely 100% satisfied with the impact of this supplement in your life, if it was not worth the money for you and your experience, send it back. 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. If you do not feel like you got the value that you wanted from it, NBD, get your money back. I think this is one of the most important supplements for improving sleep. Uh, muscle repair, digestive function, and things of the sort, and uh, I think it's great. So go to magbreakthrough.com
1: slash
0: Align Podcast for ten percent off. All right, back to the podcast.
1: Where are you at with that? Look, I've I've put out a lot of stories and expressions and stuff, and here's here's an anecdote I'll share with you about that. Because after hearing my little speech about that, you may be thinking, okay, well, (laughs) when you are on your path, (laughs) then, you know, that fulfillment, you recognize it and you feel complete and you go to bed, you know, wake up refreshed every morning. Even if you're on your path, there's still a part of you that feels like I could be doing more. I could be doing more. And so I heard on Oprah's podcast, Super Soul, she was interviewing the guy that wrote The Alchemist, Mm -hmm. Paolo Coelho. And it was a really wonderful interview and she got very vulnerable with him because they were talking about your, he calls it your personal legend, but it really is another way of saying your calling or your life's purpose. And he was talking about that. And then Oprah said, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm not doing enough. So Oprah Winfrey said, she feels like she's not doing enough. Right. And when I heard that it was actually reassuring because I felt like that as well like yeah I've written a couple books and but I feel like I could be writing more I feel like I could be doing more could be helping more people because I know I'm capable of doing so and when Oprah said that it just made me feel like okay well I guess that's just what what it is you know that that's what kind of draws you out more and more is this, this feeling like I want to help more more people. Like I have the capacity to help more people. So let me continue helping more people. But I think it starts with just taking the first step, which is putting yourself out there in a way that allows you to help one person. And that one person may be yourself, right? Writing something, journaling something, maybe blogging about something that's very close to you that's therapeutic for you, that helps you process it, inevitably will help somebody else who's experiencing something similar. And that's where it starts. And then you start to see, oh, people are resonating with this. Not everybody, but there's a certain population of people that really need this. Let me keep going and keep going. And I think that's just kind of how it snowballs.
0: Yeah. I kind of have a feeling that perhaps the the lighthouses of people that we end up being attracted to because they have the loudest microphones and they've had the greatest impact. So we kind of hear their their, their voices most prominently. Oftentimes, you know, it's like those who say don't know and those who know don't say. It's like the Dao Ching. I wonder if a lot of that, what we're, the lighthouses that we have access to are actually people that have the, the the deepest voids. And so we're like, we say like, oh, well, everyone is in that, that space. You know, I wonder if perhaps there's a lot of, farmers in peru and argentina that are actually way more like enlightened in quotations than any oprah or tony robbins but they just you know they're they're in flow like you'd never see like a leopard become famous you know or an elephant it's just elephanting and just leoparding you know but the human animal has this sensation of like Ah, oh, they need to, they need to see me. <laughs> like need, I've got this gift. It needs to come through and the whole world needs to hear it. You know, and then, and then that you get traction on that and it works. And then I, I, I just question if that's inherently human. Like you, you said, like you, you said, I think you in, in, when you were describing that, like, you will have that, that sensation it will keep going. But I wonder if that's just an I thing for you. And it's also that resonates with me as an I thing for me. But I wonder if that's a you thing for all humans, or if there is certain humans where it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in like full, like elephant nature flow, like, I'm healed. <laughs> I don't need to share
1: or whatever, you know, and is one better or worse than the other? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I think it's I think it's a both and scenario. I think humans inherently are teachers. And in that sense, we're all enlightened in certain areas of life. Like there's a cobbler out there who's really enlightened about how to craft a shoe, the perfect shoe. And there's a gardener who's really enlightened about how to plant the perfect sunflower or whatever. And I happen to be very enlightened about helping people meditate or find inspiration and you're enlightened about alignment. And so, but you may not know shit about cars and I don't know anything about sewing and someone else doesn't know anything about, you know, how to bake. And so the greatest, the great thing about humanity is that we can bring all of our individual areas of enlightenment together. And, you know, it's kind of like the old parable. I actually have this in my new book, Knowing Where to Look. It's called Heaven and Hell. And a man could be a woman too, but a person has a dream one night after praying to God about no understanding the differences in heaven and hell. And in the dream, they see these two doors and they walk into the first door. And in that door, they smell this really wonderful smelling food, the stew. And they see these people dressed extravagantly sitting around this big table and this big bowl of stews in front. And then they look closer and they see that the people are actually quite miserable and they're groaning and and they just don't look very happy at all. And then he understands why. They each have these really long handled spoons that are longer than their arms. And so even though that wonderful smelling stew, that sustenance is in front of them, they can't seem to get it in their mouth because the, the handles of the spoon are too long and so they're essentially dying they're they're dying of hunger they're suffering and so he runs out of that room in his dream and then he goes into the second door it's the same setup he smells the wonderful smelling stew he sees the people they're all dressed extravagantly it's a beautiful setting except these people look happy they all look healthy they all look nourished and then he notices what they're doing differently They have the same long-handled spoons, but instead of trying to feed themselves, they're using them to feed others. So they're sharing, right? And I think that's the essence of this whole enlightenment discussion is it's not about using it for us. It's not about using it to accumulate as much money or as much whatever. And, you know, the people that you're referencing, they may indeed be enlightened in their areas of life. And the temptation that we have in our society, because we're so deep into this sort of capitalistic structure, is to play the capitalist game as, as well as possible. And the ones who are who are able to excel at that are the ones whose names we usually hear about, right? And then there are other people who are just genuinely gifted, and they rise up, you know, the cream rises to the top in that way. And then another person who's really good at the capitalist game will recognize them and say, oh, let's partner and I'll build you a platform and put you out there, make you the king of this particular area of development. And so it's a combination of all of that. And I think it's really easy to be seduced into thinking that in order to be successful or fulfilled, I need to be bigger. I need to have a bigger platform. And I don't think that's what Oprah was necessarily talking about when she made that reference because she's got the biggest platform. That's what's so amazing about her admission is that you can't get a bigger platform than Oprah Winfrey. But yet she's still feeling this way. And so I suspect that feeling is, is a feeling of wanting to help more people in a, in a way that maybe people don't even realize, you know, that, that's, that's off camera. You know, she sponsors a bunch of girls and stuff and orphanages and, and throughout Africa and things like that. I know Tony Robbins feeds a bunch of people, you know, underprivileged people. But I think things like that are where we want to make a bigger difference in life and if people recognize it great if they don't recognize it it doesn't really matter because the people with money already understand that money doesn't make you happier so really that's where it becomes about more about impact and the rest of us we have to kind of we usually have to get to that point where we make all that money in order to discover oh it's not about making all the money it's about impact it's always about impact mm-hmm. and so what i try to tell people in my work is Try to go for the impact first. And then whatever you whatever you need to support your life will just come to you through that, through that work. In your book, Knowing Where to Look, which it's I
0: was really blown away and impressed and excited. I was doing like the Ali G, like snapping your fingers thing as I was, <laughs> as I was looking at it, because it's all art throughout
1: the whole thing. Yeah. Which is rad. It's an art book. It's an, it's art, an book art book.
0: Yeah, wept in it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was really happy about that. I was like actually legitimately giddy. And in the beginning, you talk about the idea of like like finding your why, which isn't you know the first time that that that's that's been spoken about for you know probably thousands of years. You know, Viktor Frankl, and you got that from somebody else, and so on and so forth. But the material expressions in our world, I think, oftentimes can be symptomatic of something happening deeper down. You know, so you coming out and having money or having impact or a big platform or whatever it is. And you may have this story of like, oh, my, my why is I want to help more people, you know, or I want to, you know, whatever, I just, whatever, whatever your thing is. And I think oftentimes there may be even a a, a deeper why behind that, you know, that we have like, kind of like the sublimated socially acceptable why of like, this feels good. This works on paper, you know, Mm -hmm. this works on podcasts. But then, mm-hmm. if we draw it back more, I feel like oftentimes there's there's even deeper whys that we're not even necessarily conscious about per se. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Again,
1: that's that's where this the realization part, self realization part comes in because you you really start to distill all of that, you know. Because I think that's the balance, especially when you start getting attention and notoriety for your work, is that you, you're balancing your ego that wants that craves the attention with your spirit that understands that that can actually be a distraction from the the true work. And right. so
0: in order so, to get you know, into your work, you might need to lose everything. That's the only way for this other part of you to get fed. Because you and have enough why, susten- sustenance in this other direction. You'll just keep on feeding on that, keep on feeding that, not realizing that there's that big bowl of soup in the other room. But as long as you have just enough, it's like the realm of the hungry ghost. You know, it's like you have this huge stomach with this tiny little gullet. You know, and it's just enough to kind of sustain,
1: but not enough to ever get fed. Anyway, sorry. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that uh, Stephen Pressfield, who I know you interviewed on your podcast, he said this thing on my podcast where he said the best, the, the luckiest thing that happened to him was he failed over and over and over. And he really didn't get commercial success until he was in his 50s. But he said because of that, he was able to really understand that his purpose was to write and there was no reward on the horizon for this you know he just was writing for the sake of writing yeah. and eventually obviously he wrote some stuff that his agent actually fired him when he brought him the idea because it was so out there you know writing a, a novel about golfing and um, and he had to, that was a huge leap of faith in his 40s. There's a huge leap of faith that he had to take and a lot of people who are in that same life stage, whose friends are like, you know, buying bigger houses and driving fancy cars. It's a really, really tough choice to make at that stage in your life. But because he had failed so much, he was able to make it because he didn't really, his ego was no longer in it. Same thing with Paulo Coelho, the guy who wrote The Alchemist. His family admitted him to a, a mental institution three times in a row because he refused to become a lawyer. They wanted him to become a lawyer in Brazil. He wanted to be an artist. He wanted to be a writer, songwriter. And so every time he rebelled, they would put him back in the mental institution. He would escape. They put him back in. Now imagine if the word on the street was that Aaron was, it was his third time in a mental institution, (laughs) you know? I don't think people would be that surprised, but thank you for... But most people would think you were completely nuts, even though they would, even though maybe your family who was doing it, you know, to you. But most people would think, okay, one time, maybe twice, okay, I could see a little confusion. Three times, okay, this guy is completely nuts. Yeah. But here's the thing: because he had been in and out of mental institutions his whole young adult life, he said he had no qualms about going for his dreams because people already thought he was crazy the reason we don't do it is because we're so concerned we, we we pretend like we're not worried about what people think but we're so deeply concerned about what society thinks and what happens if i fail and blah 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 and yeah. you know and it's really holding us back from really really committing to that path
0: mm-hmm. that's the weird irony with i think being an impactful human in society there's this inherent urge. You know, we desire that unicity. We want to be a part of a tribe. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We don't want to offend the tribe. To be excluded from the tribe is like the worst thing that can happen. But if you're too a part of the tribe, then you're kind of, and you're just kind of going along with the flow. You're just like another one of the the automatons. You're like a, nor, like a normie. And it's like, well, you're not doing anything. So you have this inherent urge to be deeply congealed with the tribe. But there's a point where it's like, well, now you're, 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 you're too assimilated into the tribe, we need you to be crazy. But then there's a fear of being crazy, because you don't want to be outcasted. And it comes down to that, that, that balance point we were talking about before, it's like this razor's edge. You know, because if you go too far, then you get crucified. And if you get crucified, maybe you're the most (laughs) impacted, impactful person in human history. You know, but it's like this interesting thing, like no one wants to be crucified. But If you are, (laughs) you might might have, you know, that impact that you were deep down yearning all along, but there's this, this, all this momentum saying, no, no, no. It's very, it's very weird being a
1: human. Yeah. And look, you know, crucifixion was the main, was the main way, uh, means of execution back in, in, you know, 3000 years ago. And there were probably maybe hundreds of thousands of people who were crucified. We only know about one. Right. And so when it comes to being yourself, you know, you could point to the the one example of the person who was able to succeed. But then the rest of society is going to point to those other hundreds of thousands of people who we didn't hear about, who, who didn't get off the cross and, you know, resurrect themselves three days later and, and all of that. And so it's very tempting to succumb to the naysayers and the opinionators, as I call them who give you all the warnings and the cautionary tales, but you can't just look at what happens on the cross and make your conclusion around what that life was about. You have to look at impact. You have to pull the lens back and look at the whole 33 years and the whole trajectory. And, you know, I think when you do that, then it doesn't really matter how it all turns out in the end. It's really just about living for others, living for others. And, in in whatever way feels most inspiring to you and and again you you don't have the great thing about it is you don't have to be aware that you're on your path or that you're being healed or that you're doing the work in order for all of that to take place you just have to follow your your inner guidance which is its own level of split testing because there's other voices in there that are also competing with your inner guidance. You know, a lot of it is social conditioning with those warnings and those cautionary tells. A lot of it is your own pain and and stress from your upbringing. And so all those voices are competing for your attention and you just have to, you have to experiment. Okay, I'm going to follow this voice today or in this moment, and then I'm going to follow that voice in the next moment and see which one makes me feel better, ultimately. See my, which one makes me feel more fulfilled.
0: My feeling with the story of Jesus and a lot of the stories in the Bible, it's probably part literal history and part allegorical story. And my strong feeling is a lot of like the miraculous parts of it are kind of allegorical representations for, you know, like the crucifixion and the resurrection, all that stuff. My, my intuitive feeling is that that's a representation of a rite of passage You know, so going in boyhood, immature patterns, you know, attachments into this other side where you, you know, you die and then you come out and you're, you know, you're, you're reborn. So, you know, take it or leave it depending upon your belief system. But for, for you, have you had any kind of specific like rites of passage moments in your, in your lives, like crucifixion, resurrection type experience where it's like, oh, I'm like, I'm different after this.
1: You know I I feel like the nomadic thing is it's almost like you're crucifying yourself. Yeah. So here's the thing. Either you wait for them to crucify you <laughs> or you crucify yourself and get used yeah. to it. Right? And you build up the the tolerance for it cuz it's going to happen, right? You're going to get crucified one way or the other. You know, not to be dramatic, but Crucifixion can be a, an allegory or representation for just resistance, which is what Pressfield talks a lot about, you know, societal resistance to because anyone who's stepping out on their path initially is going to hit some resistance, either from your family, from your friends, from society, from your job. Are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, no. all of that. And it takes a lot to overcome that. You know, so if you if you front load it, though, and you put yourself in a situation that purposely makes you uncomfortable that you have to then sort of find comfort within the discomfort then the probability of being crucified by your friends your family your society doesn't really affect you as much it still affects you but just not as it doesn't stop you right you just continue on scared and that's i love that saying Successful people do it while they're scared, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Unsuccessful people, people who haven't really taken those leaps, they're just they let the scare, the fear, overtake them and paralyze them, and they imagine that the people who are successful, uh, meaning they they have succeeded in 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 creating a level of impact that has now reached that person, that person was as scared as as anyone else is right but they have a little more courage than they have fear
0: i think the fear the visualizations come in my head is like is like pac-man like arcade game and i think that as the pac-man goes through and directly i've never said this before so we'll work through this hopefully i don't (laughs) end up lost in the woods it happens but the pac-man moves through and chomps all these little little marbles of fear and as the Pac-Man faces each one head on, it creates more space within, you know, the Pac-Man game. And I think I feel like to start, if you don't do anything, if you don't have any exposure, inevitably, you have a crap ton to be afraid of because you don't know what will happen if anything happens. You've just been in this little Nerf reality you know, and you're, you're in your house and you're in your parents' house and she's making your chicken noodle soup and like everything's good in this little tiny little pocket, but your Pac-Man hasn't gone out and chomped any of those little, whatever the little white marble doodads are. But I think as, as one goes through and, and, and through exposure therapy, you can call it to give it like a term to all these different parts, it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable, clenching, 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 mini crucifixion. And then, oh, wow, I'm still alive. You know, And the more that a person can expose themselves, my guess, as long as it's not too much and it becomes kind of like regressive and, and traumatic, the more a person can expose themselves to, to all of those different scenarios, internal, external relationships, business, money, whatever the thing is, you get into a fight. I think that's a path towards liberation. You look at that person's Pac-Man game, you're like, damn, there's like very few marbles to chomp on. Like you've done some chomping. But it was probably very uncomfortable along the way, and a lot of people would not desire that path because it's
1: like, wow, you were chewing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, it's liberating. I mean, I mean, when you talk to when you talk to the average person, and I've done this many times, you ask them, "What does success look like to you? Like, how do you know you've arrived at success?" Just like the average person, most times their answer will have some kind of Will have something to do with being comfortable. I just want to be comfortable, mm-hmm. right? I don't need a million. I just want to be comfortable. That's what they'll end up saying, right? And that obsession with comfort is what's keeping you stuck. It's keeping you from being successful, actually. Mm-hmm. The obsession with being comfortable because inevitably you have to be, you have to leave your comfort zone and get into your, your growth zone, which is anything but comfortable. And it's also isolating. There's not a lot of other people who can relate to you that are in your circle. So you're probably going to end up losing a lot of friendships, maybe even losing, losing a relationship or two in an effort to stay on your path. And that's a very challenging thing for people to do on a consistent enough basis to really get momentum, you know, and, and break out of the gravitational pull of society's Expectations for them. It's like just like leaving Earth. Like you need to get to seventeen or eighteen thousand miles an hour in order to to achieve orbit, and in order to do that, you know you can't be worried about what's happening on the ground. <laughs> you just got to keep moving forward and keep moving forward, and then you got to shed the rocket boosters. And you got to shed all the shit that's been that helped you get motion, but it's not helping you get orbit. And once you do that, then. You're going to be up there by yourself in the darkness of space, but you'll be this bright light and, uh, and you'll be an example for other people who also want to do that, you know. But you can beam signals all around the world. You can affect so many people. That's a funny analogy. I just, that was one I just came up with.
0: As well. I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate your existence in the world. I think like
1: you are a very important person. Oh, thank you, man. I feel the same about you. Yeah, and you inspire me all the time. Every time I sit in a squat, a dead squat, I about you. <laughs> that's good. I do that. Yeah. I do that, I, I do I that get every day. Every day, like I sit mm-hmm. in a squat for ten to ten to twenty minutes.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an odd it's an odd thing. I get I get a, a, a strange number of photos of people like squatting <laughs> in a park, <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. <laughs> I'll take it. So I greatly appreciate your latest book. Um, Thank I'm, you. I'm very excited to read all the way through it. I got to, I got to peruse through it. And I was like, like I said, like I was literally giddy with how beautiful it is. So it, it feels like the perfect book to have on any front facing coffee table, whatever, just to like mm. pick up and go through, because it's literally a piece of art. And then Thank you. the the insights that are in are essentially a continuation of, of this conversation. So if you resonate with this right. conversation and you'd like a sweet piece of art that makes for a tremendous gift, I would say, the knowing where to go, know knowing where to look 108 daily doses of inspiration
1: i feel like that would be a really perfect gift for yourself and, and, for somebody and else. speaking of which are you getting back on the horse are you working on your next book or what's going on i have the relaunch of the
0: align method coming out january 11th so we did we're doing a revised edition where we're adding a bunch of exercises and new chapter and we're changing up the cover and the trim size i was very not satisfied with the publishers really wanted me to be on the cover and be like a, you know, like a fitness American fitness guy, and so I like eventually was I, I I folded and I was like okay cool I'll be American fitness guy on the cover, and so I wasn't satisfied with that. So we're we're relaunching and essentially like rebranding the whole thing, changing the subtitle and and all that. So that comes out in January. I'm in the process of finishing up the last edits on that, and then there is, there is a book in in the mind that I've discussed with the agent and we're not at proposal point, but there's something writing a book is a mofo though. I don't know how you've done three books. (laughs) It hasn't been easy. (laughs) It's a a process, man. And that's the thing It's like getting, it's like getting into something. It's kind of like coming out of like a big relationship, you know, where it's like, Oh man, that was a monster. And then you come out and like you heal from it. And you're like, do I want to be in another relationship? (laughs) Now, that's the way I feel with the book, where I'm kind of like, do I want to like do that again? Mm-hmm. So um, the answer is yes, yes, and yes to the re- the revised version, and and maybe to the other one. Beautiful man, I love it. Well, I'm looking forward to it, brother. So where should people go from here? So grab a book. Um, LightWatkins.com
1: has all the information, and then at LightWatkins on social media.
0: Great, cool. All right,
1: thank you, sir. I appreciate right, you. Uh, I
0: look forward to next time you are in Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, or wherever. At some point, we're going to circulate around each other again. 100%. Take care. All right. See you, brother. Thank you all so much for tuning into that conversation. Light has been a friend for years, so it's such a beautiful thing to get to share conversations with people that I care about. And uh, record them here for y'all. So I, I hope you got a lot of value. If you did, feel free to share it. Share it on the Instagram. and take me, Line Podcast. You can take Light, Light Watkins. And um, thanks just so much for being a part of this thing. It's you guys sharing it, leaving reviews, telling your friends. You know, we're just generally listening, having impact in your life. Um, and going out and creating change, showing up ideally a better version of yourself with some of the lessons you get with the people on here. It's incredibly meaningful and uh, I appreciate it gratefully or great, greatly. And um, yeah, it's just awesome. I'm humbled by the people who listen to this. And then if you all want to go deeper into self-care, integrating more effective movement into your daily life, if you're a person that's experiencing maybe some impingement in your ankles or your hips, or you have back pain if feel anxious, we put together a concise, simple, easy-to-follow online program that's broken down into six weeks, and uh, it can be found at alignpodcast.com slash courses. That's C-O-U-R-S-E-S, alignpodcast.com slash courses. You can find the six-week Align Method online program, and then some of the best parts, personally on discount. And if you do not absolutely love the program, does not create immediate change in your life, or is not exactly what you had expected, then we'll send you your money back. So you've got absolutely nothing to lose and a lifetime of flexibility, strength, and greater longevity to gain. Um, so check it out, alignpodcast.com slash courses. Thank you all so much for tuning in and look forward to chatting with you next week. bye Thank you